0: your Bibles with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 8, and as I mentioned at the beginning of service, uh, the goal is to finish Elijah and Elisha, we started Elijah and Elisha, I don't know, a couple months ago, and uh, so the plan is to finish that today, and if you're able to, would you continue standing in order to honor the reading of God's Word, and yes, if you are looking at your bulletin, you will see that the notes are supposed to cover chapters 8 through 13 now I promise I'm not going to preach on every verse um, but we will highlight some of the final uh, scenes of Elisha's life here so uh, but we will read in chapter 8 verse 1 and uh, we will read on down through verse 6 so 2nd Kings chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in his word today. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land now the king was talking with Gehazi the servant of the man of God saying tell me the great things that Elisha has done and while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life behold the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land and Gehazi said my lord O king here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and Lord, as we approach you in prayer, as we approach your throne Father, we can't come on our own accord. There is nothing that we can do on our own that that would cause you to love us or or to, to care for us, Father. But we thank you that through Christ who paid our ransom, who suffered and died in our place, that you hear us and that you love us and you care for us. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, and all of your promises come to pass. And so, Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing my notes this week and thinking of trying to cover five chapters, I was trying to think, how in the world am I going to introduce all of these chapters, and as I was reading through these five chapters that kind of cover the end of the life of life, all that I could think about when I was reading it, one of the reoccurring questions that kept coming to mind is, what in the world is going on? Uh, we, we see this rapid fire movement over these chapters. We, we saw things a couple weeks ago kind of slow down, right? The, the narrative of 2 Kings really focused on Israel's relationship to Syria. But now the narrative in 2 Kings picks up a rapid pace. The Judah now is is entering into this narrative, and so it's not just Israel, the nation of Israel, but also Judah. And so Judah is going to begin acting like Israel. If you remember, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom was split in two. So you had the north being Israel and the south being Judah the north was a mess as we've seen over the last couple of months it was a complete mess they were constantly in rebellion against the Lord they were constantly following Baal but in the south in Judah they were trying to be faithful but ultimately as we see over these chapters their decline is only going to continue. It's only going to worsen and if you remember 2nd Kings was written to help the exiles living in Babylon answer the question of how did we get here? How did the chosen people of God, the the royal line from David, how did they end up as exiles in a foreign land? Well, their continual decline and becoming more and more and more like the nations around them is what led them ultimately to being punished for their (laughs) sins. And so in 2nd Kings chapter 2 through chapter 7 you see that elisha was really serving as a messenger of god's grace to israel he was bringing healing he was giving counsel to the king bringing his wisdom protecting their armies and their people but however in chapters 8 through 10 you now see a sort of shift where now he's going to be announcing doom the, that judgment and punishment is coming upon the rebellion of the people and so israel instead of responding to God's kindness and God's grace and God's deliverance, as we saw in chapters 2 through chapter 7, instead of repenting and seeking after the Lord, what do they do? They continue in their rebellion. They continue in their unrepentant sin. And and friends, there's something to learn there for us. When you, in your life, continue to live your life as if you are just entitled to God's grace, don't be surprised when you find yourself in trouble. When you continue to act and as if you were entitled to the grace of God, instead of responding in humility and being thankful for the Lord's kindness in your life, do not be shocked when you end up like Israel, as we're about to see, where the judgment of God is going to fall upon king after king after king. So we're going to take a look at the last few chapters covering the life of Elisha. We're going to finish up this series, Lord willing, that we started with Elijah and continue now through Elisha. And as we look at these couple of chapters, we're going to see God's providence, we're going to see prophecy, and we're going to see punishment. So first of all, this chapter that, the section that we read from chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 6, we see the Lord's providence working in the life of this woman. Remember this human woman? She was the one who brought uh, Elisha in. She was crying to Elisha, and every time he traveled through her town, he would stop there and she would feed him, so much so that she even built his own room for him. But ultimately, she was struck with tragedy. The Lord blessed her with a son, and then what happened? That son died. And then God used Elisha to bring him back to life. But we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, that God had sent a famine upon the land. And remember, God sent famines because of what? Because of Israel's sin and rebellion, right? It was a form of his punishment. Remember, Deuteronomy, there's the blessings and the curses. If they were faithful to follow God, then they would receive blessings. If they were unfaithful, then what? They would receive the curses. And so here, Israel is being unfaithful to the Lord, and so they received the curse of famine. So she went away, she fled the famine. Now was quite interesting that this Shunammite woman, this foreign woman, was able to obey the word of God through Elisha. But how often have we seen the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah not listen to God's word? They turned their backs on His word. But here, this woman listens And she goes, and she obeys, and her family is safe. However, when she returns, someone's taken her land. We don't know who specifically, but it's most likely the king who took it. And yet, look at how the Lord is working in her life. Think about what's happening here. She happened to leave for seven years, and then she just so happens to return, and Gehazi, Elisha's servant, she so happens to be telling the king about the miracles that God worked through life, And it just so happens that she walks in and she's telling the exact story of her son coming back to life. What we see in this, this sort of uh, small story here is how God is orchestrating, providentially orchestrating all of these events in her life. God is working providentially in her life. John Piper in John Piper fashion describes the providence of God this way. What is God's providence? He says the providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plans of the action, guides all things towards his ultimate goal, and leads to the final consummation. Now, I'm sure you guys got that lengthy definition, right? So, but I think that little phrase there, it's his purposeful Sovereignty—that's what God's providence is. God is working providentially in this woman's life. He's, hes using His sovereignty for a purpose. And so, God, through His providence, His purposeful sovereignty in this woman's life, is teaching the exiles, teaching the people in exile, that if He cares for this one obedient foreign woman, seemingly insignificant, insignificant character in the grand scheme of things that he is going to care for his people. Do you hear that? Because do you find that comforting? Do you find God's care for this this foreign woman here comforting? Uh, You should. This woman heard the word from God. She obeyed. And the Lord took care of her. Though it wasn't easy by any means, what did she have to do? She had to leave her her home. She had to leave her homeland. And you remember back in chapter 4 when Elisha said, is there something that I can do for you? Is there something that God can bless you with? Is it, Can I speak some words to the king on your on your behalf so that, that you would be blessed? She says, I have everything I need. I am happy among my own people. But she had to obey God's word and she left. It was difficult to leave, but she trusted the Lord. It would have been scary leaving, But think about how scary it was, what she got back years later. And all of her stuff is gone. Someone's taken it. But through it all, what does she do? She obeyed. She trusted God. And he ultimately took care of her. And think about the contrast here between the Shunammite woman and, and the kings that we've seen. The kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. Who are you more prone to be like? Are you like the king who constantly heard the warnings of the prophet of God, who constantly had the word spoken to him, constantly called for repentance, but did not respond in genuine faith and repentance? Or this lady who believes God's word, and she acts and she obeys? Who are you more prone to be like? Hardening your heart to the wisdom and the truth of God's word, continuing to live and Stubborn, unrepentant sin, doing what you want? Or will you not turn from your sin and trust in the one through God? Hear God's word and respond and obey. Friends, you see the danger is that the king, he liked to hear these stories. He liked to hear the stories about what God did through Elisha. That's what Gehazi is talking to him about here, right? He called Gehazi and he says, tell me the great things that that Elisha has done. He loved to hear these stories about what God was doing through his prophet Elisha, but he wasn't changed by it. But this woman heard God's word, she obeyed, she trusted, and she was saved. So, friends, are you living in unrepentant and rebellious sin against the one true God? Are you seeking to trust him in his purposeful sovereignty, his providence of orchestrating all things in your life for his glory and for our good? So we see providence there in chapter 8. But if we skip over now to chapter 9, I promise you I wasn't going to do every single verse, so here you go. In in chapter 9, in verses 1 through 13, we're now going to see prophecy. We're going to see prophecy fulfilled. We're going to see a prophecy fulfilled that God actually gave to Elijah, all the way back in 1 Kings 19, fulfilled. So verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. Elisha, then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, tie up your garments and take this glass of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the glass of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. All the way back in First Kings chapter 19, right after the the, the events at Mount Carmel, and then Elijah runs and flees because he's worried that Jezebel is going to kill him. And then God gives Elijah another word and he gives him another task. God told Elijah in 1 Kings 19 to go and to anoint three people, Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. Here is now Elijah's understudy, his successor, successor. Elisha, fulfills that task in order for Jehu to be king. What Jehu is going to do is he is going to inflict judgment upon the rebellious house of Ahab. We'll see his judgment that he inflicts upon Jezebel in just a moment. But we're talking about a number of years before the prophecy to Elijah is fulfilled. Friends, remember the context. The writer of Kings, he's showing the people in exile that God keeps his promises. His word comes true. God had promised the exiles what? That they would not be in exile forever. And this text is meant to be a reminder to them, First of Second Kings is meant to be a reminder to them that God's word comes true. And so Elisha tells them, he says, go anoint Jehu and flee. It's kind of interesting, uh, why? why does he give him the command to go and flee? Well, when you see what Jehu does over the next couple of chapters, I'm not going to read it all, but when you see what he does and the way he drives his chariot, you'll see that it's likely... That he's just out to kill just about everybody standing in his way. And so he flees. Jehu is then announced as king. And then he begins to enact the judgment of God upon the house of Ahab and his descendants. So in in chapter 9 verse 14, we see that Jehu is now going to go and kill a number of people. Verse 14, Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Jarom. Now Jarom, with all Israel, had been on guard at Gilead against Haziel, king of Syria. But king Jarom had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Haziel, king of Syria. So Jehu said, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city and go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, and late Jarom lay, lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take the horsemen and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind you. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, but he is not coming back. Then he found a second horseman who came and said, Thus says the king, is it peace? And, and Jehu said, what do, I, what do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again, the watchmen are reported. He reached them, but he is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, where he drives furiously. Just like some of you on the roads up here. Jaram said, make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Jaram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out each, of, each in his chariot and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Uh, support important. Naboth. Remember Naboth? Does that ring a bell? Naboth was the man whom Jezebel had murdered. Remember her husband King Ahab had said that, that he wanted to take Naboth's vineyard and turn it into a vegetable garden. But Naboth said no. And so Ahab, he does what? He solts, right? And then his uh, wonderful wife Jezebel goes and kills Naboth and his sons in order to take his vineyard. And when Joram, verse 22, and when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Jaram reined about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Vidkar at his, his aid, Take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. ground. Now therefore, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. The gruesome irony here is that the son of Ahab is now murdered in the same field that Ahab stole or Jezebel stole through murder. The punishment that God promised all the way back then is beginning to fall upon Ahab and his house. You see the prophecy fulfilling being fulfilled taking place as well as the punishment of God falling upon their sin and turn with me now to, uh, to skip on down to, to verse 30. And here we're going to see the judgment of God finally falls upon the unrighteous Jezebel. When Jehu came to Israel, chapter 9, verse 30, when Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. So here is the leading idolatrous priestess of Baal showing her true colors here. Her son has just been murdered, and the one who her, er, who killed him is now coming for her. So what does she do? She puts on makeup. If you're going to die, you might as well look good doing it, right? Now, as, as she's doing that for a reason. And if and she sees Jehu coming in verse 31, she calls out, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? Well, his name isn't Zimri. His name is Jehu. What's she doing here? Well, Zimri was a king who ruled Israel for a week. She is mocking him and saying, look, you're no greater than Zimri, who did not outlive his own revolution. And so there she is standing there, in in verse 32, he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him, and he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled her. Then he went in and ate and drank and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is the king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back to him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field, and the territory of Jezebel so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. Gruesome, right? Graphic images happening here. And Jezebel, despite her attempt to make herself look powerful, dress herself up with this makeup, make herself look like a goddess or a priestess of Baal, the judgment of God the prophetic word of judgment spoken against Her and Ahab from 1 Kings 21:23 is fulfilled, as we see in those words. And Jezebel, the, and of Jezebel, the Lord said, "The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezebel. Now that prophecy has been spoken years and years before. It was a long time coming. However, God's word comes. Truth. So, what we see through the actions of Jehu, who is no perfect man by any means, and is not someone that we are to model our lives after and say, Go and do likewise. No, no, no. Through the actions of this simple man, God is bringing about judgment. He brought judgment down upon Dharam, Ahaziah, and Jezebel, and the sons of Ahab. The Lord will not allow unrighteousness and injustice to go unpunished. What God is doing here through this horrific uh, death of Jezebel is he is avenging the blood of those servants who Jezebel and Ahab and their followers killed. Remember Naboth, back in 1 Kings 21, he had his vineyard ripped from him and his own life taken from him because of a veggie garden. Naboth was a man who Jezebel killed because she found his life worth less than a veggie garden. And then in chapter 21, after that wicked action, the judgment of God was pronounced upon Ahab and Jezebel and their descendants. And finally, their judgment has fallen. As we see at her death. God's judgment has come down. And you look at, at the Lord's final summary of her life in verses 35 through 37. You see that they go out and they try to find her and there's nothing left, hardly anything left. While Naboth and his descendants in Jezebel's slaughter were nobody to her, their lives did not matter to her and to Ahab, but their lives mattered to the Lord. One pastor put it this way, Tony Marita said, the suffering of the saints matters to the Lord. When we think of Jesus, who himself suffered and died for our forgiveness. But this action here, this judgment of God falling down upon Jezebel and Ahab and their descendants, it shows that God will avenge the blood of his people. While the evil reigns of Jezebel and Ahab and their descendants, while they persecuted God's people in their reigns, they persecuted his prophets, their payday has finally come. When I went to bury Jezebel, they could only find her skull, her feet, and her palms. God's judgment had fallen so severely upon Jezebel that she's not even going to get a proper burial. Naboth's death and the death of his sons has been avenged. The suffering of the saints matters to the Lord. If you turn your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, it shows that God will avenge the blood of his people who died as martyrs. Who died and were persecuted because they followed after Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter six, verses nine through eleven. John is <coughs> given a vision, a glimpse here of what is going on in heaven and what the Lord is going to do. Chapter six, verse nine, about Revelation. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. In other words, these are those who have died because they were followers of Christ. Those missionaries, those pastors, church planters who have gone overseas and, and, and died in other countries and in other nations because they believed that Jesus was the one true God. So they have died. They cry out, verse 10, with a loud voice. O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and the brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. All the while evil men may prosper for a short time, the book of Revelation shows us that God has the last word. Yes, Jezebel and her wicked kingdom, Ahab and his wicked kingdom and his wicked descendants, yes, they seem to prosper at times. They seem to possess great power. But the one true God had the final say in their lives by striking down this evil follower of Baal. Although Jezebel seemed to have great power and persecute God's prophets, even though she was able to institutionalize Baal worship, to lead people into idolatry and to kill this innocent man Naboth and his sons and countless others over vegetables, God's word of judgment has fallen, and it fell swiftly from that window. Friends, God may not be lifting up the blood of modern-day Jezebels, but their judgment is coming as we see in Revelation chapter 6. As you see elsewhere, the end of the book of Revelation, the end of history. And while we sit here in our newly painted sanctuary, which I'm very thankful for, we sit here under no threat of physical harm or persecution. And and friends, we should be thankful for that. We should praise God for that. Praise Him that we have the freedoms that we do. But we should also remain prayerful for the countless brothers and sisters in Christ that we have all across the world who meet in secret churches under the threat of persecution every Sunday, if not every day of their lives. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they will be kidnapped. They will be imprisoned. They will be martyred. They will be burned alive for declaring that Jesus is Lord and that he alone saves. And this text here in 2 Kings reminds us that God knows who they are. And that their lives for Christ was not spent in vain. God knows his people, and he knows those who killed him. And judgment is coming. Eternal punishment, eternal judgment is coming upon those who kill and persecute the people of God, who have turned their backs on the one true God. God cares about his saints. Now I know you're saying, well, I'm not someone who persecutes the church or persecutes Christians, in reality, you think maybe, well, I'm not that bad of a person anyways. I'm actually a pretty good person. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm good enough, and of course God would love me because I'm such a kind and generous person. Well, friends, the Bible says you're not on your own because we are all sinners. None of us are good enough. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. We saw Jezebel put on all of her royal clothes and makeup, and she could put on all those royal clothes and put up all the makeup she wanted to make herself look good, make herself look powerful, but all the while her heart was desperately wicked. She had sinned against the true and living God. She had rejected Him, and she had not repent. And friends, the same is true for us today. There's no amount of good works that we can do to cover up the sins that we have committed. We can only be made new through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we just say, that it is finished, meaning that the work of salvation on our behalf is fully and finally completed. And no matter how sinful you are, Through faith in Jesus, you can come to know the one true and living God who created you. And not just know him, but love him and be adopted into his family. So friends, judgment is coming. God's word is true. Will you repent of your sins and trust in him? Or will you receive the punishment that fell, just like it fell upon this wicked woman Jezebel? So what will it be, repentance and obedience and faith, or will it be punishment for your sins for all eternity in hell? Or will you tell others about the faith that is found in Jesus Christ, the salvation and the life that can be found in Him alone? Maybe you will be one of the the saints from Revelation 6 that we see at the end of the age, covered in those white garments because you gave your life for Christ. I, I know I've told this story before, but at, at the International Missions Board back in uh, Virginia, May and I had the privilege of going there a couple of years ago, and there is a wall, they call it, I guess, the wall of faith, and it's the, the missionaries who gave their lives overseas, who died serving Christ. Maybe they were they were killed uh, because they were preaching the gospel, or or somebody um, uh, somebody shot them, or they they died serving, trying to get to a a, a remote region to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And and, and they are there. And that gives me hope, knowing that no matter what happens in this country or in countries around the world, God's Word's going to come true, And we can trust Him, and we can serve Him, and we can have hope for all eternity. That word comes true. One final passage I want us to look at real quick is in 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings 13 verses 14 through 21, we read of Elisha's death. <clears throat> and uh, so Elisha, he is he's dying, and then eventually, let's skip on down to verse 20. So 2 Kings 13 verse 20, so Elisha died, and they buried him. End of his story. Then we have this interesting uh, event that happens after his death. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. You wonder, my goodness, what those people who threw him in the tomb <laughs> would have been thinking, right? And we see that Elisha's ministry began with a miracle. It ends with a miracle. And even after his death, God is somehow working through him in ways that we don't understand. But as we come to wrap up our, our series on the lives of these red prophets, Elijah and Elisha, we must remember that one greater than Elijah has come. One greater than Elisha has come. Do you know it? The Lord Jesus Christ, are you telling others about Him? What is God calling you to do this week, or in the weeks to come, to tell others that one greater than Elijah, one greater than Elisha, the one who has the power over death and sin, that He has come? What will you do to tell others about good news? So as we've looked at these prophets and we've seen how they trusted and they believed God's word in the midst of such a godless nation, friends, we see that God's word comes true, that He is good and that He is holy, and that He deserves our total allegiance. And so let us, as a people, commit to serve Him faithfully and serve Him joyfully, knowing that His word and His promises are true. Despite what our external circumstances look like God's word and his promises will always come true so let's trust him and let's serve him and let's pray Thank you for your word your word that is truth your word that points us to your great power to your great authority Lord to your providence your purposeful sovereignty in our lives orchestrating all things for your glory and for our good your word that reminds us of uh, of how pro- the prophecies that have been spoken of, of judgment upon sin, how they come true, and how your punishment upon sin comes true as well. So, Lord, is there are any here today who have not trusted in Christ or who are living in unrepentant sin? Lord, may they turn from their sin. May they see the punishment that will come upon their sin, and may they see that Jesus took that punishment upon Himself. But we thank you that you are good and you are holy, and that you love us and that you care for us. And we see that ultimately in the one who is greater than Elijah, who has come. We see that in the face of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, and who rose from the dead. And who's going to return again one day and do away with all sin sorrow and suffering and wipe away every tear from our eyes so that death will be no more. What a great promise that is. As we go from here, Lord, may we hold on to those promises and hold on to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.